freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. everybody. Welcome to episode number 314 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by AZ Firearms Auctions, where you set the price. We are your nationwide premier gun and firearm and ammo auction house. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm, I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. We have a great show today. Our theme is correcting the language and our guest is Ashley, Ashley Levinsky. <laughs> Ashley is one of the nation's foremost authorities on firearms history. Recently, she served as both curator of the Cody Museum, Cody Firearm Museum and project director for the museum's multi-million dollar renovation that opened in July of 2019. Due to her and her team's efforts, the museum has received positive reviews from both gun and mainstream media and is seen as the premier gun museum in the world that fosters dialogue for a range of diverse audiences. Additionally, Lebinsky is a highly sought after museum consultant, guest speaker, writer, and expert witness in the United States and Canada. And in her spare time, she is a television host and producer. Welcome back to the show, Miss Ashley. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. It's always great to catch up and, and chat with you. We both live, we all live in Arizona, and yet we rarely get time to see each other because a lot of times you're just out and about traveling the country. I've been traveling a lot. Like this past month and a half, I think I've been gone most of the weeks. Uh, I mean, I go for like really short stints. So we were in, Marley and I were in Cincinnati, uh, Montana. I was supposed to be back in Cincinnati this week, but couldn't make that happen going to Cody. So, oh, and Washington, DC. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. That just... I snuck that in there. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's crazy. And so in our intro, we mentioned that you are an expert witness and you recently offered testimony as a subject matter expert to the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on the Constitution. I said that all in one breath. Yeah. And in a hearing titled Stop the Gun Violence, colon, ghost guns. But you don't use that term, and you told the Senate as much. And I love what you said to them. Can you expound on that here for our audience? Yeah. Um, so to give you a little perspective on this type of testimony, because it's real different than you know being in a courtroom. And so I submitted a 20-page report uh, Monday morning before the hearing. And you don't have to submit a 20-page report, but it, there's so much to the history that I wanted to make sure it was you know, put somewhere. And I do know for a fact that multiple senators read it. And I can talk about that in a second. But then you have a five minute oral testimony. And so you kind of have to get out the highlights, which for me, 
real difficult. But the first thing I, I wanted to address is something that I address a lot with the media or really any type of public forum, especially when you've got non-gun people in the audience and even with gun people, because I can get on them too about some of the words we use. Um, because what people don't realize is when you're trying to pass legislation or do something that's incredibly complicated, you've got to basically put together something that will help people understand what you're trying to do, uh, which is understandable. And that is something we do in the museum world when you're writing a panel, you've got like your title, your subtitle, and then the like the actual content that most people don't read. Uh, but the problem that happens is in order to get a lot of people to support it, uh, a lot of times you have to use words that are intentionally political, intentionally inflammatory. And the thing I always tell my friends who are pro-gun control, which I know, I know, but I work in academia, is we've had lots of conversations recently where they'll say, well, I think assault weapons should be banned. And I work on assault weapons ban cases, uh, the one in California. And I'm like, you do realize that that doesn't actually ban anything. And I go into the explanation of just the convoluted weirdness that some of these laws have in them. And the same thing I said about the quote unquote ghost guns or privately made firearms is the fact that when you look at the ATF's proposed amendments, which came out the Friday before, and I think I was the only witness who had read them uh, other than Richard Vasquez on the Republican side. When you look at that, it's not doing what people think it's doing. And so at the end of my testimony, you know, my, my general point was, you know, as a historian, I don't really care what you want, but if you're saying you want this and you're doing something else, you're either just ignorant or you're doing it intentionally. And the last, you know, statement of my report was that you're basically letting your constituency down who thinks you're doing this and then also providing them a false sense of security when you know you're ultimately not doing any of the things that you're saying you're doing and you don't have the the research to back it up. And so that was kind of the beginning thing and the ending thing because it's just the terminology is so complicated in general. And then when you intentionally give it a marketing slogan, which is a set, which is what it is, it infers that you're doing something along the lines of what the slogan says. And that's just not always the case, whether it's real marketing or political market marketing. Boy, that is the truth. And so I love how you set the tone early on. And you said that you're, you're not going to use the term ghost gun. So they can call their committee, you know, the committee of, you know, doing away with ghost guns. But you said, I'm not going to, you know, play into that. And there are very good reasons for that. And that's why I titled our, our uh, conversation here with you today called Correcting the Language. And so, um, you know, you said it was a rhetorical tool, uh, the, the language ghost guns, um, in that it gave a false sense of authority on the subject. Um, and so you said, don't conflate this idea that it's something invisible. I mean, can you, can you kind of expound? I'm sure you're going to do a much better job of this than I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so I can get into the whole, what is a quote unquote ghost gun? Cause there's, there's definitions for what they're trying to say it is and is not. But the problem is, is that they, they, as in politicians, like interchange the terminology so they don't ultimately say what they're trying to say. But the one thing that I joked um, to Mark while I was writing my, my written testimony was the fact that I was like, I'm not going to lie, when I first heard the term ghost gun years ago, I don't even remember who coined it, but when I first heard the term ghost gun, I was like, oh, something that can, you know, evade a security scanner. I mean, that's, 
that to me makes way more sense uh, than anything else. And so when you use the term ghost guns, um, when you use that term, I think anytime you use a rhetorical term, it makes people think they know more about it than they do, but then it also potentially misleads what it is doing. So, I mean, I first heard it years ago and was like, that must be, it's some Bruce Willis shit, right? Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, that's what my brain goes to when I, when I hear that term. And so it's, it's uh, open-ended enough that you can kind of draw your own conclusions and then think you're really understanding what's happening and you're not. And so it's just, it seems to be happening a lot. And with the quote unquote ghost gun, I think I'm now using the term far more than I did in the Senate. Uh, when you use that term, what they're actually referring to is what a lot of people know as the 80% lower. That's not the ATF terminology, but it's just something that the industry has used. So if you're going to buy a lower and it's, I'm going to quote completely done because it's not actually completely done. Uh, but if you're going to buy one that's got most of the machined parts, all of that done, that is serialized and that is subject to a background check no matter where you purchase it. The 80% is basically like a block where you have to do a lot more assembly to it. And that is something that's not serialized. However, it does take effort in order to do it. Just because you can get a kit that kind of helps you do it doesn't mean it's going to operate. And so what happens a lot is this I'm going to use 100% and 80% because it just makes sense, even though 100% is still not 100%. But sure. the 100% serialized background check, the 80% is not. And that's where they use the, well, only 20%, you know, and that kind of thing. But the problem is, I think a lot of times when politicians are talking about it, they're taught, they think they're, they, they interchange 180% and they're not really quite understanding that those are very different things and require, you know, a different process. And so that's where the conflation of the terms comes in a lot because they're not using them, those words precisely. And so it is causing a lot of confusion, even if you're a little bit more aware of what they're trying to talk about. I mean, it's incredibly confusing. I had to sit there with both of them in front of me when I was writing my report to, to yes. make sure I was getting it all right. Well, for sure. And, you know, when you say that uh, politicians tend to conflate terms and when you conflate, you confuse. And I think a lot of times it's purposeful, but even just, you know, when they want to use the word automatic guns, when they very clearly mean a semi-automatic gun, uh, you know, that that's the difference of night and day because obviously, you know, a semi-automatic, well, I don't know if it's obvious, maybe not everybody knows, uh, it's a one-for-one one ratio. You pull the trigger, one projectile comes out, that's semi-auto. And an automatic gun is one pull of the trigger, you know, every uh, projectile that's in the magazine uh, or the clip, uh, well, okay, now I've confused people with clips. But anyway, um, we'll, we'll uh, continue on out of the, uh, the firearm. And so then with this, this ghost gun thing, uh, and we're talking about lowers. So Dan, you haven't said much, and I know you know well, a I, lot about I, this topic. Just, What's I'm, a lower? The lower receiver on, on a, a M16 or AR15 or M16. But where I'm confused at, Ashley. Right, but that's where the magazine. Yes, the magazine goes. The, it's where the, the trigger mechanism is. is and stuff. You can't operate the gun without it. Yes. But where I'm confused is, Ashley, is that if they say that 80% receiver is going to be now a firearm, then a pipe from a hardware store is a bomb. It's no different because you can't take this 80% receiver and just put it on a gun and it works. You've got to go through uh, intensive uh, milling and drilling and fitting the gun to fit. You have to be some 
what an expert on it to do it right. And a pipe that you put on your plumbing in your house, if it has two ends, you put a cap at each end and now it's a bomb. Hmm. It's, how is that any different? Where does it end? Where yeah. does it end, right? Well, and to, to understand what the politicians, and I have not read the what Senator Blumenthal is putting out on the Untraceable Firearms Act or something that he said at the beginning. But if you look at the ATF amendment, it's not actually um, like banning ghost guns. It's a lot more focused on, you know, they're saying that a low receiver doesn't necessarily meet the original definition of, you know, firearm. And so there's a couple of things in that that I won't get too confused. But the interesting thing is that this, uh, the ATF proposal isn't necessarily banning any of those things. It's regulating the transfer of those firearms more so. So one, they're trying to figure out what needs to be serialized. And it's incredibly confusing when you read it. Um, and then there are also uh, most of the laws, I mean, or, or the proposed amendment, it does define what a gunsmith could be in terms of transfer information, but then uh, it's about transfer markings. And so you can still acquire these certain things if they can figure out what's a gun and what's not, uh, but you can still acquire these things, assemble them. And if you're not going to ever transfer it to somebody, it doesn't need these markings. So you know, again, criminals are probably not going to trade, like you're not going to transfer again to a, a criminal knowingly, uh, you know, and then going through that process. And so it's just, it, it's just so confusing what the proposed amendment says it's doing. And then it's also becoming a lot more generic and it's in its terminology. So when you read what they're defining as firearm and these other things, they're basically, and I said this in the Senate, they're taking the power out of Congress to determine what these things are and what they aren't. And they're giving it to the director of the ATF. So they're making the terms a lot more generic because they're like, well, you know, there's so many different types and they're not wrong in that. But by doing that, they're saying, well, let's just keep it open-ended. And then the ATF director can make that call when it comes across the, the table, which is very odd. And, and they've already done that to some extent. I can't remember which FN it was, but uh, they've already done that to some extent where on the last you know, iteration of, of the terminology where the ATF director ar arbitrarily decided, you know, this piece was a firearm on this specific FN gun. And so it just, it, it leaves it too open-ended and it puts too much power into the hands of one person to make that call. An unelected person besides, right? That is the scary part because you can talk to five different ATF agents and they'll all give you a different uh, definition of a ruling. Mm -hmm. And those rulings are treating them like they're laws. Mm -hmm. And that is the scary part when we get an audit. Uh, I've had several times where I was threatened that what you did here was wrong. And then they go back and the next day say, no, you're okay with that. Mm -hmm. But it's that if, if you get, they just, these rulings are scary because they're not law, they're definitions. Right. And so, I, I'm scared. You know, we, we already have a law. If you if you make a gun, you're supposed to put a serial number on it, right? right? Is it, if you make a gun, it has to be serialized. Is that correct or? I mean, I'm not sure 100% with you know with the downloading guns because if you have 80% and you do assemble it and you're not you're not transferring it, it doesn't need a serial number if it belongs to you. 
Um, and then I'm not 100% sure FPC knows this. Um, I think the big difference between the original uh, definitions and the proposed amendment is the transfer marking requirement. I do not quote me on this, but I feel like when I was talking to FPC right before this, that right now to transfer one that you assemble doesn't necessarily need a serial number. You're probably um, right and that's that. the big difference. But if you're, you're it's my understanding if you down, if you 3D print or whatever, because that didn't come up a lot. And Right. The testimony, the printing's involved in this as well. Um, and if you get the 80% and you assemble it, it's, it doesn't need to be serial. serial. As, as, as a manufacturer, I, I have a license to manufacture a gun. If I make a gun, I have to put a serial number on it. But you're a manufacturer. Right. That's yeah. the difference. But as yeah. an individual, I think you're right. But we've had several guns come into our store that people sold us that didn't have a serial number on it because they made the gun and we had to destroy the receiver. Mm -hmm. So... And that actually is a part of the proposed amendment as well, the destruction of the receivers and when that's a firearm and then if it's destroyed to this spec, then it's not, it's, it's, it's just a lot. Um, it's like, a, oh, it's over a hundred pages. And I, it came out Friday night. I found out I was going for, or came out Friday. I found out I was testifying Friday afternoon. Um, and I tried to go through it as quickly as possible so that I could include that in my testimony. It wasn't a requirement, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, I knew what was on the table when I went on Tuesday. Uh, and I, and I, you know, I can't speak to the preparation that the other witnesses had, but it seemed like a lot of them hadn't read the proposed amendments yet, uh, which I mean, Friday night yeah. <laughs> to right. Tuesday, if they didn't know they were testifying, although I'm pretty sure uh, I, Richard Vasquez and I were the only ones that found out last minute that we were going because that's just how whoever's the, whatever party is in control and that type of hearing, um, they kind of set the, the meeting, the schedule. And so it's reactionary. So it's like that whoever's in control, it's, it's reactionary for the other side of witnesses. Richard yeah. Vasquez is probably one of the most knowledgeable gun people I know on the law side of it. Mm -hmm. no, you on the, fair. you on the guns, but him on the law side so it's a good partner to have with you i ever since i heard you were coming on the air today i, I was all excited to, to ask are is the cody museum going to have a ghost gun uh, display well i'm not the curator so that's not my call uh, we but... do we do currently have uh 3d printed firearms uh, in the collection and i mean if you're being fair, there's a lot of really old guns that don't have serial numbers on right. it. But I mean, we do we do interpret that whether or not the modern terminology of ghost guns will get incorporated into, you know, because we, as you know, we have a panel about assault weapons, assault rifles and modern, uh, modern sporting or, or sporting rifles. Oh my God. If I haven't said that word in so long, uh, that term in so long. Um, so, I mean, would that get incorporated at some point? And probably, uh, but it's just kind of too new to see. But we do have the 3D printed guns. And, and that was an interesting ordeal too when we because we didn't print them so we had control pew print them for us and and legally get them into our possession but that was a whole conversation and we actually called the atf about it um because it is because we have a, a liberator um that's the fully assembled uh, right. 3d printed gun and there's requirements for you know moving that around and different things so we had to call them because we you know everyone was just trying to make sure it was being transferred so it was really confusing so would we do one specifically on unserialized firearms that's a danny call for the temporary exhibit would we ultimately incorporate the terminology into the museum so people had a comparison of what's being talked about probably but time will tell 
Well, and ha- at Halloween time, you could just have an empty case and put, <laughs> this is a ghost gun. Yeah, there you go. That's true. We wanted to do, years ago, we wanted to do Franken guns for Halloween, which are guns, historic guns that are like, they're the historic gun, but they're assembled from all different type, all different guns to make one gun. Um, I made a, several of those in the collection. I made yeah. a Sten gun. I still have it. It's called a Franken Sten. It's all pieces of <laughs> I like guns it. that I put together. So That's very cool. Well, you know, when you, you know, we are educated, intelligent people who we've done some measure of this for a living for multiple years. And we still struggle with trying to make it make sense in a small amount of words and a small amount of time. Well, and we still try to make sense of the definitions ourselves. Exactly. It's hard. And yeah. I think it's maybe why the founders put the words shall not be infringed in the in the second amendment because they're like yeah but what if somebody and they're like no 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 just shall not be infringed well how about if this thing ha- no just shall not be infringed and uh, it just be it would be so much simpler and so much easier because you know as as we all know the bad guys that really intend to do harm that don't have any uh, value over you know their fellow man and human life I don't think they're sitting around reading all the regulations and the statutes and the, the laws trying to, you know, make sure they're on the right side of the law before they go break the law. But, you know, that's just me. Well, and one of the things that I brought up in the testimony, well, not in my testimony, but in the question and answer portion was the fact of, I said, marketing slogan, because that was one of the things that kept coming up with the other witnesses is they kept saying, well, this is how the gun industry markets it. This is how the gun industry markets it. And like, just a little sidebar, we screw ourselves over all the time with that. Like, you. <laughs> like you look at stuff all the time Thank and you're you. just like, this is going to end so badly. And the example that I used was Hiram Percy Maxim and his silencer, uh, you know, and he came up with that. It was brilliant marketing. It was the name of his invention, you know, and now it's very confusing for people, but you know, it's why I said multiple times marketing is not reality. Um, yes. You know, and it's, it's, <laughs> I almost said like the gun industry shoots itself in the foot, but I feel like that's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I mean, we, I always joke that, you know, you know, that like some executives, when you hear terms get turned around from yes. the gun world to the media world, you know, like a bunch of guys 20 years ago were sitting in a room and they were like, oh, we're calling it this. This is going to be awesome. And then Sounds 20 years cool. later, everyone's like, we didn't know. We didn't call it that. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it drives me nuts when we when we call a firearm a weapon. Yeah. I, I, I don't like calling a firearm a weapon. Yeah. I think that it, it's a tool, uh, a weapon. When they use it against me, now that is a weapon. Mm-hmm. But not when I own it. I'm not, You're thinking I'm of not it using as a it for a weapon tool or a tool of hunting. But and... I'm just a guy that doesn't know much. But so. no, you're so right that we we think it sounds cool on our side of the fence to say assault rifle, right? And then we realize we are, you know, handing the other side, uh, you know, something that they are using to scare the public of, about us, you know, to scare them that we're you know, bad people or dangerous people. And so when I look at, you know, flash forward, because you're a historian, and you've looked all the way back, uh, not that you have a crystal ball to look forward. But how do you think that that's ultimately going to play out? Because it is the conflation is confusing, trying to disentangle, it is confusing. I think that it, it can't lead anywhere really good. And maybe we can learn from that and stop using these kind of terms. What do you think? 
Um, I think this is my Ashley opinion, not necessarily a historical opinion, but um, in terms of marketing, I mean, marketing slogans, they come and go in popularity and in uh, terms of political correctness. Uh, for example, Smith and Wesson's advertising, ad advertising to women uh, at the turn of the 20th century was very like little lady, like you can protect yourself with this thing. And then they tried to do it again in the 1980s and it did not sit. Uh, they, they were able to advertise in Ladies Home Journal and all these things and the, the same, the similar type of rhetoric they were using back then to sell something in the 1980s didn't fly and that caused a bit of an issue in terms of being allowed to market, continue to be marketed in these things. So, I mean, like that, kind of, we kind of have to be more aware when we're making them, but to be perfectly honest, it, I think it's a culture thing. So mm -hmm. if it's something that's acceptable in grander culture and not as controversial, then I think they can get away with a lot more marketing issues and questionable marketing choices than something that is political and, and controversial. And we've seen that with everything else today with all the different companies that have advertised one way for, you know, a hundred years. And now they're realizing maybe, you know, whether you agree with it or not, you know, maybe we should update our, our marketing terms. And so I think when you get something that's as political right now as firearms, it's going to be much more under a microscope, but we already know that this is a tool for lawsuits because I mean, marketing slogans get brought in all the time into lawsuit, uh, you know, into lawsuits. I, when I work on the Ruger cases with the coal type single actions, you know, it comes up all the time. Well, does Ruger market their old model, which they don't anymore because they don't sell it, but did they market their old model as a six shooter? And that's because the old model needed to be loaded with five rounds and the hammer on an empty chamber. Um, and that's just something that's known within the gun community. And it's in their, you know, their instruction manual is that this is how you handle it appropriately. But that comes into the other side, which is that they market it as a six shooter, not a five shooter. And so that type of thing pops up all the time with anything. And I think the, if I remember correctly, the, the Sandy Hook shooting is uh, currently, there's a lawsuit that brings in the marketing. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it is what it is. You can't win. Um, and so you just kind of have to know what your clientele will purchase. And I assume nowadays, I, this is a total assumption, but like, I'm sure if you're trying to come up with a new marketing slogan or name, you know, you've got lots of lawyers now in those companies that can probably try to <laughs> Well, I would think so. Maybe. I got yeah, an we idea. Can't, we can't use that word. I got an oh, idea. Oh, that word either. I got an idea. What's that? My, it's a new rifle I'm going to make. It's okay. called the Unicorn 15. It shoots <laughs> rainbow-colored tracers. Nice. No? Oh, man. Range 702 in Las Vegas actually has a unicorn gun, and it's awesome. Ah. Oh, well, okay. there you well, go. Somebody yeah. needs you well, to the unicorn. I, yeah, I'm just a little late with that. I'll <laughs> it's think really cool. <laughs> if you uh, go <laughs> to my best. Instagram, you can see Marley, because they've got unicorn... Uh, sparkly like a unicorn uh ear protection and the gun in front of him so marley's modeling the ear pro oh, nice. um and it's really cool i guess i think if i remember correctly it was done for like a bachelor party as a joke and now everybody wants to oh no no no, no wait. it might have been the woman's kids like they put it together as like a you know for like a kid's party like her daughter or something and then like all of a sudden it became this bachelor party joke so it's still there you can shoot it you can have the ear pro it's the unicorn gun and it's awesome Oh, awesome. I love it. So you've mentioned uh, Marley a couple of times and you, you mentioned Mark one time. So Mark Hainish is your husband. Yes. And he's in this industry as well. Uh, what is he doing these days? 
Oh gosh. Uh, he's president of sales for Ammo Incorporated, which is out of Arizona. And uh, it is public information that they've just acquired Gunbroker. So yes. that company wow. went from like little boutique <laughs> ammo company to now they own Gunbroker. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's crazy. That's awesome. That well, didn't get any media attention, by the I, way, from the gun industry. Like I was really disappointed. I know I'm, and I'm behind the eight ball on that. I've got to have him on because that is huge yeah, news. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, and you know, the ammo business is in such a interesting position. So even that right there is uh, something to, to bring him on and talk about. Yeah, no, that's all been, I love reading all the like conspiracy theories about where all the ammo is. And- <laughs> <laughs> Must be with the unicorns. And so Yo, Mar- it's hanging out with unicorns. Yeah. And Marley, uh, you've been working with Marley a lot. I, I see on your, uh, I think it's your Instagram. I see a lot that uh, you're, you're really working hard to train him. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Wait, um, what, what he's sleeping at my feet right now. Okay. All right. Cause... Marley's a puppy dog. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Marley's my service dog. <laughs> um, so let me see if I, Hey Marty's, can you wake up? Hi. Can you come up? Can I cover? Can you cover? And he's like, screw you. Hey, yeah. he's asleep. Sorry. Uh, okay. us. Marty, come here. Caught him off guard. I know. Hey, like I'm not training right now. Come on. Napping. Let's touch. Come on. He's looking at me like it's not happening. So, <laughs> and now he's laying down. I no apologize. Worries. You can see my cute skirt. Yes, <laughs> I love it. Um, so my, Marley's my service dog. He just went swimming, so he's a little tired. Um, uh, so yeah, Marley's been working for like nine months now uh looking at a year uh he's a rescue that when we got him he was considered unadoptable and uh we weren't sure if he had the temperament to be a service dog i'd been looking at getting a service dog for a long time now um medical major medical issues and so i was like well he's smart enough but temperament wise we just weren't sure so we worked on his obedience and then found out that he had bad hips so he needed hip surgery so we weren't even sure health wise if it was going to be a go and so he we got a service dog trainer last uh last summer and uh she ironically she lives down the street and she's one of six certified internationally certified service dog trainers in the world um there's no certification in the united states so if someone ever says my dog's a, cert- a certified service dog that's not a thing you can you know you can take them and get them a test but it doesn't like it's not recognized by the ada um so some you know training programs will have an internal test just to see where your dog's at but um it's not a requirement in the u.s but internationally sometimes it is a requirement they have a much higher standard for what um is what they call an assistance dog um so she's trained um internationally to do all that so she helped him with strength conditioning um so we used to go up and down the stairs 30 times a day swimming stretching and so she ultimately gave him you know a a clean bill of health in order to to be working and so he's been working for almost a year now uh as my service dog he's task trained he's learning a new he's learning a new thing which i'm really excited about um he's actually when you start now, I'm just talking about my dog and service animals. But you, when you teach a service animal certain things, they go off of triggers. So, like if you know, if you tap your foot leading up to a panic attack, or you start to pick at your hands, um, you know, they learn like you do this, and then they learn to you know knock your hands out of the way and to start alerting you before you have a medical incident. Well, um, one of the things that if you're familiar with diabetic alert dogs is they sniff blood. Mm-hmm. Um, they sniff the blood levels, and so he's actually learning. 
to sniff cortisol changes in my blood. Um, and so I'm really excited about that because then, you know, it's not always a have to read, read the room kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so he's learning, he's learning that. And I think that's really neat. And so he'll learn different reactions for different situations. Awesome. Um, so he's got the tasks of, you know, touch, cover, hug. Um, he also knows paw because he learned touch before paw because when he was strength conditioning. And so he's got all of those. And so now when he starts realizing the different levels in the blood, he'll have a different, he'll use a different task for each of those to alert the severity of the situation <laughs> of the Whoa. situation, which is really cool. So, so who knew? just kind of like in pheromones or something, he could just kind of smell what's going on with your your body. Yeah. So what I keep joking about though, is if a dog's a diabetic alert dog, they can read other people's bloods. Like they'll alert if somebody's, you know, blood sugar's low. Well, with cortisol, it's a lot to do with stress. Um, and so I'm like with the pandemic and everyone, we're going to be walking through the airport and he's going to be like, Hey, yes. Hey, Hey, true. well, he's been great. I love it. You're, um, your new profile picture you sent me for your guest page includes Marley. And so yeah. I thought this is perfect to be able to talk to people about why, who Marley is and why he's so important in this journey that you two have been on together oh, and people out there that are being told things like, oh, this dog is untrainable, unadoptable, whatever. Now you don't want to be foolish and bring you know, a dog that doesn't interact with children well, or something like that. As a therapy dog at a hospital, you know. Remember yeah. when, right. we, got, remember when we got married, you... your parents said that I wasn't trainable. <laughs> and, true story. And, and you, you made it right. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a whole different topic. Um, but uh, I remember that one of his big outings, Marley's big outings was actually coming out to our gun shop. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. In his training. And I just felt like that was such an honor for us because you know, it's, it's important for other people too, to understand that it's like, oh, he's so cute. And you just want to mm, love on him and stuff. But that's, you know, that is not appropriate, especially when a dog is training and when a dog is working. Right. Well, and you know, the other thing that cracks me up, I've learned so much, you know, since I, you know, I used to be in a wheelchair. I've had over 10 surgeries. I've got a couple of other things that he's working with, but what's so interesting to me is how many people are like, so what's he do? what's wrong with you? And I'm like, hi, my name's Ashley. <laughs> you know, like maybe you should learn my first name before prying into my medical records. <laughs> yeah. But it's so true. So like, I always warn people, I'm like, cause it doesn't seem like a, a rude question. A lot of people don't think of it that way, but it is like, it's like going up to someone in a wheelchair and being like, how'd that happen? You know, it's yeah. like, yeah. don't ask, like, especially, you know, mind your own business. If your dog is clearly trained, you know, it's not your business. If you don't, you know, to say that this person needs one or not. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of the trainers uh, with Dog Trainer US, if you're looking in an Arizona area, they do regular obedience training as well. Uh, they're amazing. They're so good. There's a fee for the life of the dog. It's unlimited private lessons, uh, unlimited group classes. We go to three to four group classes a week. Um, both in like, uh, you know, with dogs that are just obedience trained and also public access, um, you know, and so it's just a lot of them, you look at them and there's people in our class and I don't know what's wrong with any of these people in our class. And, you know, I've been working with them for, you know, a year and it's because you just don't ask, but if you look at most of them, they're young, mm -hmm. you know, they don't look like, you know, it's something that they would need, I guess, is that, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm super rude, I'm sure. But, and so it's just interesting <laughs> to me because people do ask the weirdest questions. And what people don't also realize is that a lot of times service animals are there to 
mitigate the need for, you know, greater medication. So mm. some people are able to not be medicated at all with certain things with a service dog. Some people still need the medication, uh, but maybe they don't have to take as much of it. And so it's, you know, it's a choice that you can make if you are someone who's suffering from a disability. And, you know, if it's not always the right thing for you because it's like having a toddler around all the yes. time. Yes. You got to bring their like, you got to bring their poop bag and their food, <laughs> you know, and you're always, if you're traveling with them and Marley's a little bit of a, of a world traveler. And so it's been a really big learning curve for me and I'm glad I did it. And he's helped me tremendously, especially on the big long trips that I take. Um, and yeah, I'm thrilled with it. And he's, he gets to be a dog. I always hear that. Yeah. Don't, he needs to be a dog. Sure. He, trust me. He's well, more of a dog than most dogs. <laughs> Well, and he, um, not he necessarily, but there are going to be, I think so many people out there, maybe especially young people who are going to be dealing with agoraphobia, like fear of leaving the house because of all the COVID stuff and to have, you know, a companion dog, a service dog, a well-trained dog that knows how to help you move forward from there. That could actually be a whole new industry right there in of itself. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting the different things that the dogs can do. And I think a lot of people just aren't aware that they, this is an option for them. And to be, it's a lot of work. And if you're just buying a service dog outright, I mean, it's $25,000, Marley's not board and trained uh, as a service dog, although dog trainer does do that. I don't know what their fees are. But if you watch, there's a documentary called To Be of Service on Netflix, which is about veterans with PTSD. Um, And then they actually get a prescription uh, through the VA so that it's paid for. Um, So they don't have to obviously pay that uh, that kind of price. But the thing about it is, you can pay all that money for a service dog. And if you don't work the dog, like, like doing training stuff, it'll go back to being, uh, you know, not an untrained dog, but less trained (laughs) dog. And so it's a lot of effort and that's why it's not for everybody. But I think a lot of people don't realize that it's, you know, it is an option um, if it's the right option for you. For sure. Wow. That was awesome. I didn't realize we were going to get that deep into Marley's history, but I'm I am sorry. Glad we did. No, no, no. I am glad we did. Well, you don't see Ashley without seeing her puppy. That's true. Yeah, so, absolutely. Awesome. And now it, it'll make more sense to people and they'll know, don't ask stupid questions. You know, I'm more open about talking about it than other people, but it is funny to me. I've actually gotten like, when I was in Cody last, last year, I got, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, uh, I mean, you're not supposed to ask. And he's like, oh, sorry. But like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and my, my answer nowadays is like, so much. So much, right. So much. Like, like, how much you time do you have? Down that rabbit hole, okay? Right? It's like, do you want it alphabetized? Like, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's becoming more uh, accessible nowadays to, to ask people about their medical history. Like, our, I guess you're right, <laughs> you know, and all that kind of stuff. Have you had COVID? And so it's like, you know, let's, let's dial back from that and let's respect yeah. people's privacy once again. Okay. Last question. And we've got to let you get back to uh, loving on your pup there. Um, you do occupy a very unique space in this whole world of second amendment and firearms history and, you know, being a, um, an expert witness because you are very, um, purposeful about being agnostic politically. Mm 
Mm -hmm. uh, you, you're very careful, like in past shows when we've had you on and stuff. And maybe if, if I start just talking away, you'll bring me back to, okay, but I'm not political and I don't, I don't speak on the politics. Uh, political topics. And I respect that so much about you. You're so good about the way you do it. I never feel, you know, pushed back or admonished. You're just reminding me and setting that boundary. That's so important. Um, but at the same time, the second amendment has become this political football between the two major parties. So, I mean, how do you manage to stay in that, that neutral space, especially right now? when yeah. everything seems so divided and so political and so divisive? Um, well, I mean, obviously nobody's completely objective and you know everyone's a little biased. You just have to work really hard to try to kind of weed through it all and make that call. Um, it's difficult because you certainly have personal opinions. And if you watched my testimony, you know that my personal opinions were asked of me and I did not provide them um, at, at the testimony. Um, but you know, honestly, I just try to find the common ground. So if I'm talking to someone that's, you know, a, a gun owner that, you know, starts in on, you know, I, I don't even want to say it, but like, you know, really like derogatory terminology about the other side, um, you know, then I try to pull in something they don't know and be like, well, did you know that you used to be able to take a gun class at Berkeley? You know, did you know that, you know, there was this huge group of armed feminists in the 60s? So I try to pull something that like, isn't what they think. And then the other side, you can actually do it for um, feminists today and be like, well, did you know that the second wave of feminists, like a lot of them chose to arm themselves. So I try to do that when you get someone that, you know, is kind of set in their ways on either side. And then I will um, say that like, well, one, I don't follow politicians. So like, I don't really know a lot of who people are. And I know that there's a lot of uh, hatred of, of Senator Blumenthal, but I think this is a good indication of what I am doing and the fact that it is being successful. Uh, a lot, everyone saw the back and forth with us um, and a lot of people tried to say some pretty nasty things about him, although I loved it and I was so glad he asked me questions. Um, but he was the only Senator politician in the room who went out of his way to speak to me beforehand um, and tell me how much he appreciated my report. And, and that's how I said, that's how I know some people read it because he actually talked to me about it. And then afterwards he went out of his way to come and talk to me again. Um, and so, you know, did I change his opinion? No, but you know, what I did, and if you read my report and if you read my testimony and really listen to it, you know, it is saying, this is about, you know, doing what you're say you're doing and not letting your constituency down. So if you are for, banning ghost guns, uh, whatever that means, and make sure that that's what you're doing, you know, <laughs> and don't lie about it and, and yeah. the other side. And so I, I, I saw the fact that he took the time twice and he did not have to, um, nobody else approached me. Uh, there were three Republicans in the room to start. Nobody else approached me and took the time to actually talk to me about my research. I think that is a great illustration that you know, even though it's clear that uh, I own firearms and I have my own personal opinions, that my report was something that they could also take something from it. And so that was really, that was awesome to me. Like, I really appreciated it and I appreciated his time. Don't have to agree Ashley, with him, but I appreciate I, it. I, I, I don't know if I agree with you on that, okay? He, um, <laughs> he didn't either. Apparently. Well, no, the, the fact is that he listened to you before the meeting. Mm -hmm. He listened to you after the meeting and you said you didn't change his opinion. You did, because I, I would believe that at night when he's thinking about this, he's at least listening to what you had to say. 
Mm. He valued you enough to listen. And maybe it that's didn't true. change a hundred percent, but you, you put a seed in him yeah. and, and that's what we need to do. If we, if I go to somebody that I don't like, and let's just say I go to a politician I don't like, and they're willing to talk to me. Mm -hmm. If I cut them short, I've earned nothing. Mm -hmm. I've gained nothing. Mm -hmm. But if I talk mm -hmm. to them and tell them how I feel without being critical to them and just be, uh, be just being honest, then I hope that I at least planted a seed. Mm. Right. Yeah. So, and I, I actually appreciate you saying that because I um, didn't think that was where it was going, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I really appreciate that because that was, um, I hope so. I mean, one of the goals that I had said before the hearing is I consider the hearing to have been a complete win if I get a business card of someone who doesn't agree with me. Um, right. And I did get uh, Attorney General Josh Shapiro's business card um, on his way out. We spoke beforehand as well. And I've always just tried to be like, look, at I, I can vehemently disagree with you. We don't have to share any common ground, but we don't have to be nasty. Yes. Um, and so to me, it's really comes down to the question of, are you unaware that mm -hmm. these things are, you know, not great? And do you want to call me and actually ask my, you know, ask what could be done, you know, better in the wording? Or do you know what you're doing and you don't care either way? And for mm -hmm. me, maybe this is naive, like, I, like, listen, if that's your stick, that's your stick, but be honest about it. And yes. So that was really for me, you know, I'm sure that they'll take away new information, uh, whether or not that ultimately matters, though, it will be interesting. And I think time will tell on that. It, it does help. I, I remember having arguments with people when I was younger and stu more stupid uh, that, you know, if they yell at you, then all you're going to do is go home and think about how stupid they are. But if what if a guy throws some common ideas. sense, something at him that he believes in and you actually have con con conversation about it? Then you're going to think about that later on yeah. and it may change you and you don't even know it yeah. that it makes changes to you yeah. so i i'm really excited that you that he talked to you before and after because that's a and i got some time. elbow bumps out of it yeah right well right. then yeah. that's awesome i was laughing i thought that was just a myth but everyone was bumping my elbows when awesome. i was on this <laughs> i was like yay <laughs> Love it. Great. oh my gosh but you know ashley uh you you know how you said you weren't sure which direction danny was going this is my life like I'm sitting here, I need, I need one of those kill switches because I, I never quite know, but I don't uh, know how to speak. I know how to say, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know where I'm going sometimes, but that's super important because I go to people's houses that are really strong anti-gun and I'll pick up guns from their house that they don't like. And they'll sit there while they got their CNN uh, volume up as loud as it can go. And, and they just argue with, it. I mean, they just tell me what, what's wrong with the having guns they tell me and i i can't even speak to them because th they're not going to hear me but then you get the other people you know my dad had these guns and i don't like guns and we have conversations about it and then i mean i did that with one guy that was totally anti-gun he sold all of his guns to me and we had a really long conversation after it was over a healthy conversation a week later he called me back said could i have one of the guns back and i gave him the gun back mm -hmm. oh, so that's, awesome. that's a win where if I would have just, oh, you know, just been arguing with him, I wouldn't have gotten over with the guy. Yeah, yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, so many times in this conversation, the the title that we've chosen, correcting the language, has come into play, and just correcting our way of interacting with people, um, so that we we can not only give but receive. Um, mm -hmm you know, ideas and, and that sort of thing is the only way we're ever going to move um, any ideas forward. 
And so I think you showed such a fine example of how to do that in a respectful and a, a, a uh, professional yeah. way. You always do, but I get to see what you do so much more often than maybe just everybody else because we are friends and because I do follow the work you do uh, on, you know, you, the TV shows you've been on and, you know, other things. Uh, you, you've helped us with the DC project in the past. I don't know if you're, you're still technically a, a DC project delegate because with all the other hats you wear. I know. I mean, the, I, I wasn't ejected out of the Facebook groups, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Everything. I, I keep trying to draw you in closer and you're like, I know, oh, I know. I, I really, so, I mean, obviously, uh, Di helped me out. Um, I think I am still a delegate because Di sent me a thing. There you <laughs> go. The Diana Project. Muller, yes. um, so I am, I, and you're right. I really need to get more engaged and involved with it. It's just been with the pandemic and uh, a couple of health issues I had in the fall. Like it's just been a crazy, crazy year since I moved to Arizona. So Yes, I am still involved and I will hope to be more involved in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. And even that is, you know, that shows you that the DC project is a, um, a nonpartisan, you know, we, it, it's hard to keep it nonpartisan, just like we were saying with you, that's a hard space to live in yeah. when there are, you know, so many, um, uh, rhetorical, uh, fiery things out there in conversation that cause you to sort of be like an us versus them. And it's like, no, we have to constantly remember that the second amendment is part of our constitution, which is in our bill, our, our bill of rights, which is in our constitution and it's for everybody. And so um, you're again, a great example of, of what we can all strive to be better at. Um, before I let you go, what other projects are you currently working on? Oh Lord, a um, couple of expert witness cases that I can't speak publicly on, but I'm still, I mean, the one I can speak publicly on is the assault weapons ban case, which is currently in the hands of uh, Benitez. And we did all of our hearings and depositions and everything. So a couple of expert witness testimonies, writing for recoil still. Um, I returned to the Sam Russell Museum in Montana and I'm redoing their Browning exhibition as a curator. A lot of stuff at the Mob Museum. Oh, so, so many random things. I feel like <laughs> I'm just happy that the museum world came back uh, strong because that was a big part of my consulting business that kind of, you know, died off last year with the pandemic. And then of course, if you like random history speak, um, you can always check out our podcast, Danny and my podcast, Danny from the Cody Museum, not this Danny, uh, podcast <laughs> history unloaded. Uh, we just took a little bit of a break because we'd kind of been doing it every week for a year and figured people could take a break from our voices, but I'm going to be in Wyoming filming the whole next season. So it'll come out sometime this summer. So definitely check that out. Absolutely. That is so cool. And, uh, I should remember the name of it. Uh, the, the reality show that you were on where you were one of the judges. Of oh, people. master of arms. That's on discovery plus. I just found out. So if you want to check it out, you can see it on discovery plus. That was so fun. And I thought that that show was going to help, uh, in that idea of like renormalizing for people that people that own firearms and and bladed instruments and tools, knives and swords, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, it used to be every house had multiples of those things and it wasn't weird. And somehow we've gotten to this space where somehow it's a little bit weird to have guns for some reason. And then to have this show, I, I, it can only help to, to help people realize there's so much technology that is 
you know, inherent in just even the development. And, and you've done a good job with that at the Cody Museum when you went through the, the renovation of, of showing how the artwork of it and the, the technology of it, it all, it all just kind of culminates and comes together. And it's not just about, you know, the, the tool that some people think are only used for e evil. So it's, it's wonderful. Well, thank you. It's been, it's been a ride. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's an understatement, but I love it. It's been, it's different things every day. You're so versatile and you're so good at so many things. I, I love that you have an opportunity to showcase so many of your gifts and gifts and talents, but all right. So as we go out, how do people follow you and all of your adventures? <laughs> Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at history and heels. Um, that's the platform I use the most. I'm at official Ashley Lubinsky on Facebook. If you just search my name, you'll get my private account. Please stop following that. <laughs> I don't post anything. Uh, and if you want to see more of Marley's antics, although you'll see him on my page, uh, he's at Marley in the museum on Instagram. And he, uh, he, I provide a perspective. Uh, I take pictures of him at historic sites that I'm working for and provide a little bit more generic history. So gun history, my page, generic history on Marley's page. So fun. I love it. Well, thank you so much for all that you do. And we will have to get together for uh, some Mexican food and margaritas, margaritas. again soon. <laughs> Ashley, thanks for being here and tell Mark congratulations for us. I will. We miss him. We'll see you later. Thank all you. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye -bye. That's a busy girl. That is a busy girl. And uh, honestly, she is such a good spokesperson because she is able to articulate things so well and avoid the landmines that uh, too many of us, including myself, will accidentally step on, right? I agree. Yeah. <laughs> And so that's all I do. Yeah, for sure. But we absolutely have got to have Mark Hanish. I'm making a note right now uh, because that is huge. Oh, you bet it is. Why isn't that all over the world news? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's massive news. But um, I always enjoy talking to Ashley. I learned so yeah. much from her. And if you have never been to the Cody Firearms Museum in Wyoming, especially in the summer, like here in Arizona, where it's so hot. It's so, oh, it's so beautiful up there. In Arizona, you can go to Wyoming and it is uh, much less And it's like three hot. museums in one too. Seven. Seven. I think there's seven museums all put together on that complex. Yeah. Um, it's fantastic. And the renovation uh, is brilliant. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot of hands-on, um, a lot of educational opportunities. They even have uh, the mural of the Time magazine cover um 2018 2019 i think i can't remember the year a few years ago uh time magazine did an entire there's i'm gonna say it wrong 120 people on the cover pro and um anti uh rights pro and anti-gun people and then the entire article you know, we'll kind of take you into who the person is on the cover, mm -hmm. you know, and what their why they believe what they believe. And it's weird. You just said anti-rights. Who would be for anti-rights? I know. It's who, crazy. Only people in power would be for anti-rights. It doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, there are people out there like that. But um, 
So anyway, yeah, that mural yeah. is there and it's wonderful because we walk along and it's like, oh my gosh, there's Maj Ture. He's on there. And Gina a lot of people Roberts that we know were on and, there. Uh, yeah. A lot of people that we know. So um, Kevin Dixie. Yeah, and they have firearms there too. And at the Cody Firearms. Yes. Yes, yeah. they do. Yes, they Some do. cool stuff. All right. We are going to wrap up and get on out of here. Uh, thank you so much to Ashley Lebensky. Awesome, awesome, Ashley Lebensky. Thank you to all of our listeners all over the world. Uh, we value you. Your time is your most finite and precious commodity. And when you spend it with us, that's everything because right. we, um, we know you could be anywhere doing anything. And then you take these topics that our subject matter experts talk about and you bring them into your private conversations with your sphere of influence. Your kids, your family, your friends. And you do it in a non-argative way and yeah. everybody gets along and people get the little seeds and they start thinking instead of following what's going on in the news today. So true. Well thinking. said. Let's think about stuff instead of following. Yeah. Or just reacting. Yeah. Just reacting. Right. Um, Challenge. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, um, that's it. That I, That's all I've got. I think it's time that. to pray for our nation. Yes. Absolutely. Actually, it was time before this. It's always time for that. Yes, there's always a time to pray for a nation. Pray and for our representatives, representatives and our leaders. I like I don't like leaders. Representatives, yeah. And um, how about those ones that we get frustrated with? You know, I was thinking really about like. that. And one I mean, that like needs Blumenthal, a lot of prayers right? right now. I mean, what she just said he he really went out of his way to be gracious. Right. One one that we really need to pray a lot for right now, and I just realized it is Biden. Yes. He he needs prayers. He does. He even really does. even the though we're some of us are really yeah. unhappy and frustrated yeah. with his performance so far. Right. He needs. But he's a human being. He we needs should prayers. pray for him. Yeah. Absolutely. Pray um, for wisdom. Yeah. So especially the ones that aren't our favorites. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, just just so everybody knows, I didn't vote for him, but we, I pray for him. Absolutely. Just, for sure. just want you to know that. Make it clear. All right, guys. Until next time, be good to each other. Have a great week. Bye-bye. And God bless. Bye-bye.